0: The following podcast is part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Unity and World Religions is a book by longtime Unity minister Paul John Roach that connects the dots between Unity teachings and the tenets of the world's religions. Get your copy today at unity.org/worldreligions. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter.
1: Hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com and I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today is my amazing co-host, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah's the author of Spiritual Rebel, A Positively Addictive Guide to Finding Deeper Perspective and Higher Purpose. Hi Sarah. how are you today? I am excellent Jim. I understand that you are somewhere special in this recording. Where are you?
2: I am. I'm at Unity Village for the first
1: time. You are at in the homeland
2: I am I, I when I arrived I said I found the mothership
1: you did you did I
2: did I did I pulled in late last night and I could see the tower that this show and the unity uh radio shows broadcast from with a big bright red light on top of it which was exciting and then i looked off to my right and there were like 12 deer so i felt immediately at home on this 1200 wooded acres and i was woken this morning by uh, blue jays and crows so we're off to a good start
1: the animals have greeted you at unity headquarters
2: they have. I just can't wait to get to the bookshop. So I'm trying to push that off for a while because I just know I'm going to need another suitcase.
1: <laughs> That's definitely true. They have a great uh, bookshop there, a little coffee shop too. It's really cool.
2: You know, it's it's nice to um, to fin- finally be here. It's It's been a while and I've been reading Unity teachings for a long time and and know a lot of unity ministers and work with them and i'm here for a conference actually that we're doing on spirituality and veganism and it's just really nice to feel it it has a beautiful feel here it feels very peaceful um my room has has the words grateful and optimistic in huge letters on the wall in case i forget and start to get a little snarky and snarly Um, apparently there's a reminder (laughs) of what's important. I don't know if I was put in this room, you know, in,
1: (laughs) they did it on on purpose purpose for (laughs) you, right? They knew you were coming. I don't know,
2: but I, yeah, but I highly recommend, I've only seen just a sliver so far of the campus, but, uh, from what I see so far, it seems like an amazing place.
1: It's a beautiful campus. You've got to walk around all the little chapels that are there are really awesome. And, uh, the grounds themselves, the fountains and all that stuff, just beautiful. So let's jump into the show, shall we? Um, Do you have a quote for us today?
2: I do. And this one should not be too much of a surprise where it came from. Because God is infinite justice, you can always change the causes you set into operation. And so change the results. It is always measured to you as you yourself measure by your attitude and acts.
1: And who is that?
2: myrtle fillmore
1: i knew it would be
2: well you know it seemed appropriate today
1: gotta bring in some myrtle there today
2: that's right well and and uh, rumor has it that their ashes were scattered on the bridge here do you know that to be a truth or is that a rumor
1: i really don't know i haven't heard that before
2: i'm gonna check it out and i'll let you all know next time
1: that sounds good that sounds good
2: how'd your quote go
1: here's mine Part of spiritual and emotional maturity is recognizing that it's not like you're going to try to fix yourself and become a different person. You remain the same person, but you become awakened.
2: Ooh. Who's that?
1: Jack Kornfeld.
2: Nice. I feel awakened today. How about you?
1: I'm almost awakened. I think I'll I'll wake up.
2: Almost awakened? I'm James almost and... <laughs> awakened.
1: I need some spiritual coffee, I suppose.
2: I was just going to say that spiritual caffeine. <laughs> we might be onto to something here. I think we have a little bit of spiritual caffeine today in today's guests. So uh, I feel like this will be a, a bit of high energy today.
1: Absolutely. Joe Vitali is absolutely wonderful. And he's going to be uh, joining us and talking about Ho'oponopono and uh, some additional things uh, that I know that our viewers, our listeners are going to want to get into. So are you ready to get into the episode?
3: Let's do it. Hello, everybody. My name is Ed Biagiotti. I'm co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. It's always a pleasure to be with you here on Big Universe. And this subject of loving and forgiving yourself is really the most powerful tool that I have found for transforming situations. Because I've learned more and more that what seems to be happening around me is always a reflection of what is happening within me. So if the program that's running in my mind, often in my subconscious mind, which just means Thoughts that I thought in the past and have focused on and practiced so that they keep running, much like a program on a computer, when whatever's running in that program tends to outpicture in my life, that's the way, because it becomes a filter through which I see my world. If I'm judging myself harshly, if I'm telling myself that I'm not worthy, if I'm telling myself that there's no way I can accomplish this then my subconscious mind, and maybe I told myself that in the past and that program is still running, but at any rate, if that's what's running in there, then it's going to be very difficult to really experience and see anything other than that. It's like looking through a pair of glasses that are telling me that everything around me is not going well. Joseph Murphy in The Power of Decision says that the only place guilt exists is in our own mind. So practice forgiving yourself. Forgive yourself for judging yourself as not good enough. Forgive yourself for judging the people in your life. Forgive yourself for buying into the false belief that you're not worthy of every good thing. Forgive yourself for buying into the false belief that all of your dreams are not coming true because they are. And the moment I open up to that truth and that reality, everything turns around for the better. So forgive yourself. There's no greater fun you could have. And remember, Daryl and Ed love you.
1: And now it's time for our interview. Dr. Joe Vitelli is a globally famous author, marketing guru, movie, TV, and radio personality, musician—that's a very interesting note, I'm always interested in that—and one of the top 50 inspirational speakers in the world. His many best-selling books include The Attractor Factor, Attract Money Now, and Zero Limits. A popular leading expert on the law of attraction in many movies, including The Secret— Dr. Vitale discovered the missing secret not revealed in the movie. He's been on CNN, CNBC, CBS, ABC, Fox News, <laughs> featured in the New York Times and Newsweek. Joe is an authentic practicer of modern Ho'opono Opono, and I practiced that word several times, certified Reiki healer, certified Qigong Practitioner, certified clinical hypnotherapist, certified L- NLP practitioner, ordained minister, and doctor of phys- metaphysical science. I think you need to add more titles and expertise to your list there. And
2: acronyms, Joe. And
1: acronyms. Right. Yes. Joe has several Shorten. recent books out and several on the way, including the fifth phrase, the next opono, opono, and zero limits healing stage. Hi, Joe. Welcome to
4: Big Universe. My pleasure to be here. Been waiting for this moment. You know you've arrived when you have got on the big universe show. This is it.
1: <laughs> well that's moment.
4: The, that's the first time I've heard that, but that's awesome. We'll accept that. I, I, I accept it
1: too. Thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, first, I think uh, we definitely want to dive into the fifth phrase, because that's really mm-hmm. cool, really important. Uh, but I want to just do a review for people of what the four, first four phrases of Ho'oponopono are, just so we have some background on it.
4: Well, that's a wise thing to do, because most people won't know what Ho'oponopono is. So let me back up to the very beginning. Ho'oponopono is a Hawaiian spiritual methodology And I wrote about it in my first of three books about Ho'oponopono called Zero Limits. And that first book told the story that captivated me and has gone on to captivate millions of people around the world for the last decade or more. And that's the story of a therapist who helped heal an entire ward of mentally ill criminals at the state hospital in Hawaii. And he did it by using this crazy technique called Ho'oponopono. So when I heard the story, I investigated it, I found the therapist, I found out what he was doing. And long story short, you're taking full responsibility for your experience. You realize that your experience is based on your perceptions. You know, your perceptions are inside of yourself. So you go inside of yourself and you do ho'oponopono as a kind of way to get back to zero, get back to bliss, get back to neutrality, and remove the perceptions that are what's actually causing and attracting the very problems we've been creating and complaining about. So, to answer your question, the four phrases, as you know, are, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. Very simple. Those are the basics, and that's where most people start with ho'oponopono, that's ground zero, so to speak. So I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And what we're doing with those phrases is using them as a kind of prayer, as a kind of petition. And inside of ourselves, we know something's bothering us. With the therapist, it was the mentally ill criminals. But we also know that what we were doing in the past, including him, didn't work by trying to change outer reality. So we go within the change inner reality. And we go within and connect to our... Our higher purpose, the greater something, God, the divine, the cosmos, nature, the great mystery is what Joseph Campbell called it. I call it the great something anymore. And we go to that force and we're basically saying the four phrases as a kind of prayer, as a kind of petition, as a kind of mantra, saying, I don't know where this experience came from, where these beliefs came from, where these perceptions came from, but please remove them. And I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Are the open sesame combination lock four simple phrases that we use to get clear of what is actually causing the disturbance in our lives?
1: And so, this is something you use with other people to. How do you do the prayer? I mean, how do you how do you put it forward?
4: Yeah, no, that's a beautiful question. I'm glad that you're asking it because you never use it with other people ever. That is actually one of the primary mistakes most people make with Ho'oponopono is that they think they're going to go and say them to somebody else or teach them to somebody else. And the way Ho'oponopono works is everything in your life is an inside job. Everything. No exceptions, no get out of jail cards, no sort of loopholes. It is all you. This is all about 100% responsibility. So whatever you see in the outer world, whether it is the doctor with mentally ill criminals or it's us complaining about our neighbors or our employer or our employees or the political system or whoever that we're pointing fingers at and saying it's your fault, we don't do any of that in Ho'oponopono because we realize everything we're complaining about is stemming from our perceptions of reality and where are our perceptions inside you. So all of Ho'oponopono is done inside yourself, never to another person. Even with the therapist at the uh, the mental hospital for the criminally insane, he didn't walk around saying, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you to the patients But as he saw the patient's charts and he felt whatever was going on inside of him, he said the four phrases to dilute his own inner disturbance. Hmm. This is the magic of Ho'oponopono, and this is what needs such great clarity, which is why I'm so grateful for your question. It gives me a chance to pounce on it and explain it a little bit so people understand this is miracle making, but the miracle making isn't on the outside, it's on the inside. And you do it internally with your connection to the great something.
1: You talk about this as a process of cleaning or erasing data. And I love that. Uh, I love that analogy. Talk
4: a little bit about that if you could. It's a big question. And the answer basically is we are living in a belief-driven universe. Everything that we're experiencing is stemming from our beliefs about reality by far we don't usually think about it we don't usually know it because we take reality to be what it is but reality is based on our perceptions and our perceptions are our belief system Our belief system is not so much in the conscious mind. We're not walking around thinking this is what I believe. It's in the subconscious slash unconscious mind. It has a lot to do with our upbringing. We usually download the beliefs of our parents. It has a lot to do with our culture. We download the beliefs of the community that we're in, the culture, the country that we're in. It has a lot to do with the media. We download the beliefs of the media that they're proponing out there. And what's going on is that we're downloading all this without any awareness, without any consciousness, because we're kids, we're growing up, and we're being programmed to survive. And those programs usually help us survive, but they don't help us thrive and prosper. We're not taught to do that. So we get to a point in life, like right now, and people look around going, well, I I survived, I got here, but I'm not necessarily happy or I'm not necessarily healthy, or I'm not necessarily wealthy. And they have all of these people that can point out and complain about and say, it's the president, it's the political system, it's the government, it's the world crisis, it's the pandemic, it is. We can go on forever with agreed upon excuses. Oh boy, can we, yes. (laughs) Yes, we can. And you can just go on social media and see that happening forever. It's infinite. It'll just keep going because the bickering attracts more bickering. And so all of this is coming from our belief system. And what Ho'oponopono is doing is helping us clear our beliefs. Those limiting beliefs, the negative beliefs, the old paradigms, the mindsets that aren't serving us. Ho'oponopono was designed to help go in and remove what they call data. The data is the programming. The data is the software of your mind. It got you here. But if you actually want to thrive and prosper and have love and whatever else that you're looking for in your life, we need to remove the beliefs that prevent it. it. Once we remove the beliefs that prevent it, voila, there it is. It was there all along. We just didn't see it because of our data, our beliefs. So Ho'oponopono is about helping you get clear of those limiting beliefs.
2: One of the things I was struck by was how that clearing allows for expansion in some ways. And there was a story that you tell um, under the foundational principle that everything is alive about a room and about walls and a floor. Could you (laughs) share that with us? Because it really struck me sitting here today in my hotel room at Unity Village and thinking about the walls and the floor as alive.
4: This is a big wake-up call when we really get this. There's a couple really earth-shaking principles in Ho'oponopono. One is is the idea of total responsibility. We've all heard about taking responsibility, but when you take it to the quantum level that Ho'oponopono does, it basically says there is nobody else to try to change. It is all you. When you change you, everything else is going to respond to that and it will change. So that's the first great big principle and hurdle for a lot of people to accept is that it's all you. You're 100% responsible. And then the other thing is the the whole idea that everything is alive. Everything is alive. I know when I was first doing seminars with the therapist, his name is Dr. Hulen. We did three seminars together, Zero Limits One, Zero Limits Two, Zero Limits Three. We wrote the first book together called Zero Limits. And in the very first seminar, he wanted to go to the room before the event actually took place and before anybody was there. And I thought, well, that's cool. As a speaker, I know you get more comfortable (laughs) if you go to the room first, just to kind of get a sense of the lay of the land. You're not surprised when you walk in. It feels like home. But that's not what he was doing. (laughs) He was going into the room to talk to it, to communicate with it. He actually got a name for the room, and I don't remember what it was. It seems like it might have been Sheila. He says, the room's name is Sheila. And I'm looking at him like, it is? The room has a name? (laughs) And then he's saying, and the room is telling me that it's tired. And I'm like, he talks to the room? And then he's looking at the chairs, and he says, the chairs are exhausted. And I'm like, who is this guy? He's talking to the wall. He's talking to chairs, and the chairs are telling them he's tired? What? So obviously, I was not on the same wavelength at that point. But he also invited me to talk to the room. He says, why don't you try talking to the room and just see what you get? And I remember looking at him like, where do I begin? Right. Where's what do you do home? when you say someone says that to you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's this. And he he said, there's no wrong answer. He says, just go ahead and tune in and see what you feel. And I remember attempting to do that. I don't know how successful I was in that moment. But since that moment, that moment was 15 years ago. Since that moment, I have come to realize that everything is alive. I'm looking around on my desk, and i got glasses, and I have my mouse here, and I have a bottle of water. And most of us would look at these different things and just think that they're instruments, they're physical properties. I now look at them as spiritual beings in particular forms. We are all spiritual beings in human form. The people that are listening and, and might get to watch this, but for everything I'm looking around, like books, well, books have always been alive to me because I'm, um, you know, look behind me. I'm a book addict. I love books, writing them and reading them. But your question about that room, it. Taught me that everything is alive, including the room. And the doctor, Dr. Hulin, wanted to make peace with the room. He wanted to ask permission of the room to have an event there. And this all paved the way for what became a transcendental kind of an event. Because not only did he want to meet the the room and talk to the room and have me talk to the room, but he also asked for a list of everybody who was going to attend. And then he took a pencil, I don't have a pencil in front of me, but one of those traditional number two pencils with an eraser on the bottom end, and he tapped every one of those names. Mm. And in his mind, he was clearing every one of them, because even the names on a sheet of paper are alive. Mm. And he was pre-paving the experience of transformation by doing this all before anybody ever got to the room, but he, he and I.
2: I love this. There's so much reverence in that.
4: Yes.
1: Yeah. One of the optimistic things that I love about, about what you're talking about with Ho Ho'opono, Hoopono is that everything can change. You know, we we you know, we everything's alive. If you want to change something, you change you. But the optimism that
4: everything can change is important. At this point, I don't know that we have any limits. Even when I wrote the book with Dr. Hulan and we called it Zero Limits, I don't know that I fully integrated the phrase, but I have today. Today, I I wonder if there are actually any limits whatsoever. And I know that the diehard critic or skeptic or scientist might show up and say, oh, what about this or what about this? And for the time being, it might look like there's a limit. But as we keep going through life, we keep seeming to find that everything is a mental construct. It's all a form of a belief. And as we change our beliefs, lo and behold, that outer reality was fluid and plastic and begins to respond and change in some new way. This is why I get so excited about thinking big. And I really admire the entrepreneurs and the billionaires who think about doing what other people might think is impossible, that excites me because it's moving in the direction of true zero limit living where we look at our lives and we go yeah this is what's happened in the past but what if we tried something else what if we tried something daring something big something bold and we entertain the idea that maybe it could happen i really feel that we don't have any beliefs that if if we say we do it's only because of our belief system pono helps dilute the belief system. So you move in the direction of making the impossible a daily daily activity.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Very interesting.
2: Uh, I wanted to ask a question about how this applies, Joe, to injustice, to racial, ethnic, gender, kind of the issues that we're seeing in the world right now. Can you talk about how the inner work Can the inner work affect those issues as well?
4: That is a priceless question. When Dr. Hu Len and I were first working together and he flew into Texas where I live and we were hanging out and planning the book and I was just picking his brains and sitting in his energy and wanting to absorb this man who was acting as a kind of a guru for me at the time. I remember I left him alone in his room because he wanted to rest and I went and did a few things and when I came back to pick him up just in the sake of starting a conversation I said uh, what were you doing you know when you were back in the room all alone <laughs> he said I was watching TV and I said really that kind of surprised me and he says I was watching the news and I thought oh my god he watches the news I tell everybody don't watch the news <laughs> don't watch the news right the, the news is bad news it's programming it's not, you're not going to feel good if you watch the news And they're good at programming you to be in fear. So I was surprised that Dr. Hulen said he was watching the news. And I said, why were you watching the news? He said, so I could clear on what was happening. Hmm. And it dawned on me that he was using injustice, world situations, crises that the news was finding and reporting to us as opportunities to clear his contribution to them. What is his contribution to him? His beliefs about them. He went on to tell me that and in our events and so forth, that as he cleans the beliefs in him, he's cleaning them for all humanity. He's cleaning them for the planet. And he repeatedly said, the more we do this internal work on whatever we think is on the outside, but we short circuit it on the inside, we stop it there, the more it leaves the global experience. So to answer your question, what I was taught to do and what Dr. Hulen was doing, and I imagine he's still doing, he's in full retirement now, he's in his mid 80s and he's enjoying not traveling and not speaking and probably especially during a pandemic. But what he was teaching all of us to do is whatever we see on the outside that we're complaining about, whether it is an injustice, whether it is a. I just name anything that might have been in the headlines. It's our response to it that supports it continuing. When we dilute our response to it, our reaction to it, our perceptions of it, we start to take down what was actually supporting it. So this is all inside work. Now, obviously, if you're inspired to do something in the political arena or legal arena or whatever it happens to be, then Dr. Huland and myself would say, follow your inspiration. That's all part of what you're being called to do. But for most of us, we don't have a hand in that, but we do have a hand in our own creation of reality. And we can change that reality by changing our beliefs. And one way to change our beliefs is with Ho'oponopono.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with Joe Vitale on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio.
4: You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The
0: voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter.
1: Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Joe Vitali. So Joe, um, you talk uh, about a very interesting idea that ho'oponopono comes from e-
4: either memory or inspiration. What do you mean by that? Well, ho'oponopono doesn't come from that, but we do. In other words, in every moment, we have a choice. We're either coming from memory or we're coming from inspiration. So let me explain that. Memory means we're simply repeating our old patterns. We're doing it unconsciously. We're doing it habitually. We're not really thinking about it. It's a very reactionary way of living. And we do it because it's a shortcut. It's a hack, so to speak, to living our lives. Rather than rethinking how to go about anything, when we are confronted with any sort of moment, any sort of circumstance, any sort of person, we already have a default reaction. So we're coming from memory. It's the memory of what's worked before. Now, in Ho'oponopono, the goal is to come from inspiration. So in other words, when we are free of memories, And I don't mean memories of happy birthdays and things like that. I'm talking about the memories of our programming. When we're free of our programming, we are at a place where we can be available to inspiration. Inspiration comes from the cosmos. It comes from zero. It comes from the unknown. It comes from God. It comes from Gaia. It comes from the great something. And we can be surprised by inspiration. Because we've allowed ourselves to receive it. So in any moment, as we live our lives, we can react. And we can just go and do whatever it is it's been done before. We can be defensive if we've been defensive in a confrontation. We can have a stock answer when somebody asks, how are you doing today? And it's just robotic. And again, there's nothing life and death wrong with it but we're not actually living a life that is full of the gusto and the juice and the surprise of allowing inspiration to come in. So a lot of Ho'oponopono was to help us dilute and delete the data, the programming, the memories, so we can be here now. One of my books is called The Miracle, and I said in The Miracle there's two kinds of miracles. There's the one where everybody has something suddenly happen and it's unexpected, and we go, oh, that was a miracle. And we all long long for that kind of an experience. But there's another miracle, and it's a better miracle, and it's the one we're blind to. It's the miracle of right now. The point of power is now. The past is gone. The future isn't here yet. All we really have is this moment. But very few of us are in this moment because we're wondering about the future. What's gonna happen a little later? What am I gonna do after this show? Or we're thinking about earlier, oh, Joe's not that great, but the earlier interview was great, but we're not here in this moment. What Ho'oponopono was doing is helping us dilute what's keeping us from the miracle of right now, the miracle of now.
1: All right, drum roll, the fifth phrase. (laughs) <laughs> what is the fifth phrase?
4: Well, I wrote three books about Ho'oponopono, as I mentioned. I wrote Zero Limits, which came out in 2005 or six. I wrote At Zero, which came out 10 years later. And then most recently, I wrote The Fifth Phrase. The fifth phrase came to me as inspiration. And it ties in beautifully to what I was just talking about. Because the more we do the clearing and the cleaning and the, the, the deleting of Uh, memories, the more we are in the moment where the miracle is and where we can allow inspiration. I was getting ready to put on an advanced Ho'oponopono weekend. This was at this point several years ago. And I remember the night before I woke up in the middle of the night and I received what ended up being the fifth phrase. I received it. And what I've been noticing is, as long as you keep doing the cleaning and clearing, you keep making yourself available to receive inspiration that you didn't ask for, you didn't see coming, and that could be profound in its impact. And I received the fifth phrase. Now, as you know, because you just read the book, I wrote the third book, and I spent an entire book explaining the fifth phrase, knowing that if I just say the fifth phrase, people won't necessarily get it but I'm going to make an attempt here. The fifth phrase is, I forgives myself. I forgives myself. And I want to take a moment to explain that. But before I do, when I revealed the fifth phrase at that advanced Hō'oponopono Pono weekend, a woman came up afterwards and she said that fifth phrase is so powerful you really don't need the other four phrases anymore. Hmm. And I hadn't thought about it that way, but the more I thought about I forgives myself, the more I thought that's potentially correct. All you have to do is say that I forgives myself. So what exactly are we saying? Because it sounds like bad English to say, I forgives myself. Yeah, we weren't <laughs> going to
2: point that out, Joe.
4: <laughs> Believe me, in the book, I had to deal with the editor. It's Spell like, check, I right? Myself. Shouldn't it be I forgive myself? No. Let me explain why. I, first of all, the letter I, it's not referring to you. This is one of the very first big concepts. Whenever I would write to Dr. Hulen, he was living in California, now he's over in Hawaii again, he would end his emails to me by saying, peace of I. What does peace of I mean? He's not talking about I meaning Dr. Len or I meaning me. I means the divine. He wanted peace of divinity wished upon me. So the phrase I forgive myself begins with I, but the I is the divine. It's not you, it's not me, it's not either one of us. The divine is what we're referring to. You can call it the eye of God if it helps you understand it better. So the divine forgives myself. Now the the divine forgives is divine basically saying in the divine's mind, it didn't do anything wrong. You are the one that's not forgiving yourself. So the divine forgives is pretty much an assumption. It's already forgiven. You. You're you the one who's carrying any baggage or you're the one that's punishing yourself or you're the one that's holding on to guilt or grief or resentment, any number of things. So I forgives myself. Myself is divided into two words, my and self. And the self it's referring to is your little self, not the self with a capital S that could be considered your spiritual self. The little self, meaning your subconscious mind. The home where all of the limiting beliefs are. The divine forgives your programming is another way to say this. Mm. I forgives myself is basically the divine has already forgiven you. Realizing that you've been forgiven is your ticket to freedom. So I forgive myself. Again, I wrote a whole book to explain that.
1: Right, that you can't do it in a couple of a couple but, of paragraphs, but, you, but the whole book there is about you go. this. Yeah, yeah. You know,
2: you make a distinction in the book, Joe. Um, first, when you're talking about the, the the four statements, and then as you get into the fifth, about forgive, <laughs> and about the there. I can't remember exactly how it's worded, but there's this beautiful piece where you talk about forgiveness as the. I'm I'm sorry, I I didn't know. I didn't know. I had a forgetting. It wasn't in my awareness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think we often think that forgiveness is something that has to be bestowed. And I think the point that you're making here uh, is is really important.
4: Thank you, because it, it gives me an opportunity to explain some of the four phrases a little bit more deeply. If you remember, what we were talking about is, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And I've done this long enough and I've had the books out long enough and I've been speaking about this long enough to have heard the objections and the criticisms. Most people don't like saying, please forgive me or I'm sorry. They will tell me that. They don't want want to say it. They'll often say, I didn't do anything wrong. Why do I have to say, I'm sorry or please forgive me? And at first I I thought, wonder why they're so objecting to that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I found a couple of ways to explain it. And one is I would say, well, when you go to a busy store and you bump into somebody accidentally, you don't you just turn and say, I'm sorry? Yeah. And why do you do it? You're admitting that you made a mistake, that you were unconscious or clumsy in that particular moment. You didn't mean anything by it. So you turn and say, I'm sorry. That's the same sort of attitude to have when you're saying it to the divine. When you're saying, I'm sorry and please forgive me, you're basically saying, look, I didn't didn't know what I was doing. I was unconscious. I don't even know what the beliefs are that caused me to do that or say that. So I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Very neutral. Very simple. No sense of crime and punishment. No need for some sort of retribution. You're basically just saying, look, I wasn't aware. My father died. My mother died. um, Best friend died. And all these funerals, people would walk up and go, I'm sorry. And I would go, wonder why they're sorry. They didn't kill them. They didn't do anything. But it was our human expression to say, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Didn't necessarily have anything to do with it per se, but I feel for you. And I'm sorry that you're feeling what you're feeling. This is the kind of mindset when we say these phrases. I've often explained the four phrases, and I think I do it in the fifth phrase book, where I go more deeply into the four phrases and then, of course, the fifth, where I say, when you're saying I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, it's shorthand for something bigger. You're basically saying, I'm sorry for being unconscious. Please forgive me for whatever the beliefs were that contributed to this problem. I don't even know what the beliefs were. They're in my subconscious. They're in my unconscious. I don't know where they came from, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me for those. Very innocent. Thank you is a statement of gratitude, putting you back into a very transformative experience right there. And you're saying, thank you for healing me. Thank you for my life. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for the whole Pono pono process. Thank you for clearing whatever it was that caused me to feel this disturbance. And then I love you, which I think is the most powerful of all, is realigning you with the one word, if there's any word to describe the nature of the cosmos, the great something, and that's love. You're saying, I love you to it, to say in many ways, I'm grateful for you. I am appreciating you. I truly love you with my heart and you're feeling the love coming back to you. So the four phrases are a shorthand for a bigger plea of removing the things, the perceptions, the beliefs that keep us from being happy, that keep us from being inspired, that keep us from being in the moment. And I've seen these four phrases, believe me, over the 15 years, I've heard from everybody, do everything from heal money problems, health problems, people with their animals, people with their relatives, people at work, people that went and dealt with taxes or cancer, or some of the things that we consider overwhelming are really big in the world. Ho'oponopono has done it all. It's done it all. But it's done it all by us going within, saying the four phrases, now the fifth phrase, as a move in the direction of achieving inner peace?
2: So I have kind of an odd question.
4: <clears throat> I love odd questions.
2: <laughs> which is, I, I teach at a interfaith seminary, and in one of our courses, we use a Ho'opono um, song. There's, oh. there's a, a version of this where the phrases are sung. And I'm looking at you, and there are two fine-looking guitars behind Joe right now. <laughs> and and I know you briefly touch in the book about your relationship with music, but I'm I'm wondering, do you ever use sound or singing with these phrases, or is it more an internal silent type of practice for you?
4: Beautiful question. Yes, I use them with music all the time. I have 15 albums out. Half of them are singer-songwriter albums, and half of them are instrumental. The instrumental albums are all deeply, Ho'oponopono influenced. They all came from inspiration. They were all done with my guitar teacher, guitar monk, Matthew Dixon, who became my partner in this. And we would meet in his studio, which ended up being called Zero Limit Studio. And we would actually sit down, have coffee, talk about whatever's going on in our lives. Then we'd wander up to the studio without any agenda, (laughs) without any written music. We're kind of looking at each other And I might start plucking a few things and say, well, this is coming to me. And then he'll pick up with something there. And the next thing you know, we've created an album called Aligning to Zero. And another one called At Zero. And these ended up being bestsellers. And so I can go on and on with all of this. I've written one of my very first songs, was called the Ho'oponopono song. It's on my very first singer-songwriter album called Strut. Lots of people... Lots of people besides me are making ho'oponopono songs and ho'oponopono music. If you do some searches on Google or YouTube, you're going to turn them up because there's people that are feeling inspired and they want to share them in some sort of melodic, rhythmic, memorable way. So, yeah, thank you. And, And I should quickly say that I became a musician only, at this point, eight years ago. It was on my bucket list. So when I was turning 60, eight years ago, I said, what do I want to do? And I thought, well, I always wanted to make music, but I never sang in the shower. I didn't sh- sing behind the wheel of the car. didn't do karaoke. I had guitars, but I only knew three chords. I didn't know how to play. <laughs> I didn't know how to write songs. Didn't have a band, you know, all of this. But I said, I'm going to do it. And the very first thing that happened is I cratered with fear. I cratered with fear. I just collapsed. Under the weight of everything, like I have no musical experience, I have no skills, I have no singing voice, I have no, and I just went on forever with the excuses, and I almost gave up. I remember wrestling with this devil, until I aimed Ho'oponopono at it. Because I thought all of this is, these are beliefs, there's no evidence I can't learn anything or do anything or record anything, there's no evidence. So it's all coming from a belief system. And most people buy into their excuses, they buy into their belief systems, and they stop short of their goal. I at least persisted. And, well, the long story short is, not only do I have 15 albums, some of my songs were nominated for the Posse Award, which is the Grammys of Positive Music. Some of my music has been used in soundtracks for movies. I got to study with Melissa Etheridge, who I've been a fan of for 20 years, in her home, in her studio. How cool is that? How cool is that? And I dedicated my last singer-songwriter album to her, and I wrote a song for her. And I put a band together, and my drummer, who has the same name as me, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. And when it came time for me to perform, which I was admittedly nervous about, I did Ho'oponopono, got on stage, and got a standing ovation. And none of this is to brag. All of this is to say, look, I didn't want to do it. I was afraid, but because I knew that fear was actually coming from programming, coming from data. Coming from beliefs, and I also had the tool of Ho'oponopono. I was able to dismantle it and go on to do some pretty fun things.
1: Oh, I love that! I love that. I'm gonna to have to. I have to admit, I'm gonna to have to aim a lot of Ho'oponopono on my singing voice. So, I'm I, working on. I'll work on that. Open my. London I relate there. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about an X phrase, developing your own phrases for spiritual growth. Can you give us some
4: guidance on that? The more we keep cleaning and clearing, the more we'll become available to our own insights and methodology that goes back to in every moment we're either coming from inspiration or we're coming from memory, the more we delete those memories, the more we are allowing ourselves to be available. I think that's part of the problem in all areas of life these days is that we're so preoccupied. We're so distracted. There's so many different things pulling our attention, whether it's social media or the latest gadget or things that we're doing or work or lack of work or worries. I mean, it goes on forever. What we're missing is to actually make time to be available. Most people who have heard me interviewed know at some point that I talk about the hot tub. The hot tub is the greatest investment of my life, and I'm in it almost every night when I'm home in Texas, outside, soaking, cigar in my hand, talking to the stars, usually doing ho'oponopono. During that time, I'm available. I'm available. The divine can talk to me. The divine can download something. I can get a new phrase, a new book, new song, new music, new product, who knows, or nothing at all, but I'm available. I think that's what most people are missing we need to make time every day go into the silence let it be gratitude let it be a meditation let it be a hot tub let it be a walk but something where we turn the phone off we walk away from the computer we have some silence and in that silence we are available to receive and of course doing ho'oponopono the more we're doing it the more we're erasing the various layers that have kept us from reuniting and merging with life itself
1: Hmm, I love that. I'm going to have to join you for a cigar one of these days. That sounds good to me.
4: I I look forward to it.
1: I love that you quote Marilyn Ferguson's uh, phrase, benastrophe Instead Benastrophe. instead of catastrophe. Talk about that, could you?
4: Yeah, I love that word ever since Marilyn Ferguson put it out, I think way back in the 1980s or 1990s, somewhere in there. She had written a book, I think it was called The Aquarian Conspiracy, which is interesting because these days I say there's a divine conspiracy going on, meaning all that what's happening in the world is actually a good thing and being uh, instrumented or created or instrumental from the divine itself, from the cosmos, and we're responding. But I remember way back then, she had the word benestrophe, and I just fell in love with that. It's the opposite of a catastrophe. A catastrophe is when a whole bunch of bad things happen pretty much at the same time, and we're like, oh, my God, that's a catastrophe. We don't usually think of what the opposite would be. We didn't even have a word for it until Marilyn Ferguson either coined it or found it and said, well, that would be a benestrophe. That's when a whole lot of cool things happen, a whole lot of good things happen. Um, for those who would see this visually, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says expect miracles. And that's because it's the attitude that I'm trying to promote. So many of us walk around going, well, I expect crap to happen or worse more vulgar terms of that when's the shoe (laughs) going to drop (laughs) right well yeah there's that mindset that the other shoe's going to drop at some point something bad's got to happen they're always calculating well something good happens so that means something bad's going to happen and that's all from our old beliefs that's all from our old programming so part of what i'm doing besides introducing ho'oponopono to the planet is wearing t-shirts like the one i have on saying expect miracles and promoting words like benestrophy to get people thinking in a new direction Action. What we've been thinking is only habitual because we've been doing it for so long. We can interrupt it, and it might feel a little bit like work at first to start thinking, okay, I'm going to look around for miracles. I'm going to expect miracles. Let me entertain the idea of a benestrophy And at first, you have to remind yourself of it, just like when you first learned the four phrases of Ho'oponopono. You have to remind yourself of that. But in a very short time, it becomes second nature. It becomes who you are. It becomes the new habit. And that's part of why I'm saying, look for the benestrophies, look for miracles. Let's come from the, you know, the positive side. Let's play the glad game. I love Pollyanna. I actually wrote a song on my last album about playing the glad game. And to remind people, Pollyanna didn't say dismiss the world or what was happening in it. She said, yeah, there's things happening in the world, but look for the good within it. There's good in everything. There's good in every one. So playing the glad game is looking for the happiness in every moment, including this one.
1: So let me, we just have a couple of minutes left and I have to, I have to get to the attractive fact, the attractive factor just briefly, you know, okay. and, and the, the, the money thing, cause you're the abundance guy in a lot of ways for people. And what are some steps that people can take for opening up to their abundance?
4: You know, there was a quote from Arnold Patton, who was one of my favorite metaphysical uh, teachers and authors, a very deep thinker. And he said, you don't create abundance, you create limitations. And I'm pausing for that to sink in, because the reality is, we don't need to create wealth, we don't need to create abundance, we don't need to create prosperity. We need to uncreate our limitations to what already exists. So ho'oponopono is a way to do that. When we look at our lives and we think, well, I don't have enough money, there's lots of reasons why we don't. Almost all of them are belief-oriented. We believe money's bad or it's evil or it's corrupt or corrupting, or we think we don't deserve it or we don't deserve good things. Or we don't deserve it to be easy. All of those are beliefs, and those beliefs can stop us from the experience of having wealth, prosperity, and abundance. But wealth, prosperity, and abundance are already there. They're already waiting for us. I was homeless way back in the late 1970s in Dallas, Texas, and I was in poverty for 10 years. When I looked out into the world, I certainly did not see abundance or prosperity or or the easy road to success. But yet today, being the same guy, I look out into the world and I'm going, wow, look at all the opportunities. Look at the abundance. Look at the prosperity. Look at the choices. Look at the opportunities. It's overwhelming. Well, what's different? The difference is I remove my blinders. Hmm. And that's what Ho'oponopono, one of the great tools, is to remove the blinders. What are the blinders? They're our own beliefs. I've written several books like The Secret to Attracting Money. Uh, I wrote Attract Money Now. I wrote the, uh, The Awakened Millionaire. I wrote a book called Money Loves Speed. Um, your listeners can have one of these books for free. I wrote Attract Money Now. Go to attractmoneynow.com. It's yours. It's free. Can't read it for you. And I can't implement the seven steps for you, but I'll give you the book, attractmoneynow.com.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm going to give you a challenge here. In one minute that we have left, what's one piece of advice or an exercise that you would suggest for our listeners?
4: Well, the one bit of advice is persistence wins out over everything persistence wins out over luck over talent over connections over anything that you can think of persistence meaning go for your passion go for your dreams get up every day and move in the direction of the life that you're trying to create I mentioned homelessness I mentioned poverty throughout all of that I was writing I wasn't being published I wasn't being paid but I was writing I was persistent and today after all these decades I've written over 80 books I have over 15 albums. I have over 200 products. I have a coaching program, mentoring program. Before the pandemic, I was traveling traveling all over the world. I'm persistent. I think that's one of the great secrets. And it's available to everybody. There you go.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Joe, it's been wonderful having you on Big Universe. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: I love that there's a great show. I look forward to another round of doing this and a cigar. And Sarah, I don't know what we're going to drink water or tea or something, but we'll do it.
2: <laughs> I will delight in watching you too. <laughs>
4: <laughs> All right.
2: I like to watch others have joy. So that sounds great.
1: Well, for more information about Joe Vitali, go to MrFire.com and check out his books, including The Fifth Phrase. For more information about Sarah Bowen, go to her website at spiritual-rebel.com and pre-order her new book, Sacred Send-Offs, on your online bookstore. I've got premium video courses and help to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio.